William Wallace had nothing on the Two Guys Talking podcast. Join two guys as they bring home true entertainment freedom on the Two Guys Talking podcast network. Two Guys Talking is an internet radio show providing you with entertainment, a sharing of viewpoints, and fun. Join us as we venture into the world of entertainment and discuss a variety of topics, from television shows, DVDs, feature films, and more. This week, Two Guys Talking... Back to the Future, 1985. 1985 brought us wonders of all kinds, but few provide the grandeur and legacy of the DeLorean, Marty McFly, and Doc Brown. We've been talking about doing the Back to the Future DVD review forever, and now it's time for the Two Guys Talking podcast to go back to the future. (laughs) It's time for the Two Guys Talking DVD feature film review of one of everyone's favorite films, Back to the Future from 1985, directed by Robert Zemeckis, starring a bunch of nobodies back then who have become somebodies now and more. Everyone, welcome to the Two Guys Talking podcast review of Back to the Future. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. I'm Tony Lavasco, your other host. We've been talking about doing this review forever, and I'm so glad that we finally have the time to put this down on record. I'm really excited. Absolutely. Let's get straight to the Two Guys Talking DVD feature film review of Back to the Future from 1985. The money. Tony, do you have any idea, without looking at my screen, how much this money made in general? More than zero. A ton. This mo- this movie made a ton of money when it first came out. To date, domestically, it's made $200,609,000. Wow. Just a ton of money. Is that and with DVD sales or just... I, I don't think that it is. I think that when you consider you can go and buy all three of them now for, what, 18 19 yeah, bucks. I, can't, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think so. But the sum of money we're talking about here is huge. Because remember, this wasn't last weekend. This wasn't five years ago. This was 1985. Yeah, in 1985, $210 million would, would buy you New Zealand or something. That's insane. <laughs> it was a ton of money. That was domestic. Foreign, it took in $170,500,000. So gross, in general, worldwide, it took in just over $381 million, which is just a giant ton of money back then. That's, that's one of the reasons why this got sequels, but also one of the reasons why it's one of the most successful films ever inside of the film industry. Uh, you know, I know we get these uh, these numbers from IMDb, but yeah, I gotta yeah. say they're uh, absurdly specific. <laughs> and uh, you know, I don't know if it's an IMDb or Wikipedia or you know, I know there's a lot of different sites that have these numbers, but yeah. two hundred ten million six hundred nine thousand seven hundred and sixty two dollars. So, well, what does that mean if I have a DeLorean myself and I go back in time and I stop Marty McFly from seeing the movie? Then that's going to be six dollars less when I come back to the future. I, I don't. I don't see how it can be that precise. I, I would. I would really like to hear from somebody that's inside of the the, the mechana that collects the money for things like this to tell us if that's the case. I mean, if ten people don't go, does that mean that back then sixty dollars doesn't get registered, and so that number becomes seven hundred and two dollars instead? That's a great question. The good. One of the best hallmarks of doing great feature film reviews, Tony, is being able to come up with a multitude of good things and then really, really having to work to find the negatives. And we really had to inside of this review. We've done a bunch of really great movie reviews over the years, but I think this is the one, the first one that I can remember, except maybe um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, because that's another one where there's just so much good inside of it, that I had trouble finding negatives. Well, and let's be honest, Mike having trouble finding negatives, not too surprising. (laughs) 
Tony having trouble finding negatives, very surprising. <laughs> very well said. I got to say, I, Mike and I sat down before this, this uh, interview here, and it, we spent, what, 20 minutes? And yeah. we've got two or three on the bad side yeah. and a whole list of the good side. So giant, that, that's, giant goods, it yeah. really speaks to a movie that when you try to nitpick it and you have a hard time, yeah. uh, that it still holds up. Yeah. The, the other piece of this review that is really strange for us is that we don't do in general comedies. And as we were talking about what category this film actually lies in, we've decided that this isn't actually a comedy. It's way more adventure action oriented than it is comedy. It just happens to be a funny action adventure, which I really, really like this, including Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, including this movie, are probably my two favorite comedies. And this isn't really categorized as a, as a comedy, but there's all kinds of funny laced through it, and I love it. It's good stuff. The cast. Looking back now, there were so many people involved in this movie that weren't nobodies, but they were people that were just at the butt of their career. And now all of them, when we look back, every single one of them across the board has had some sort of success, if not incredible success. And it's one of those casts where you go, I can't possibly fault anybody in the cast. The story. The story of Back to the Future is, again, one of those that... You, you can't nitpick. And when Tony can't nitpick something, it's really a good, solid, credible story. The, the way that they've woven not only this film, but then two other complete feature films around the lore built inside of this one movie is amazing to me. What impresses me really uh, about the story more than anything is how it's nothing at all like the original story was supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, if you jump yeah. online or if you listen to the commentaries on the DVDs, mm -hmm. you'll find there's all kinds of changes that they made before they started filming, mm -hmm. from what the original script was, mm -hmm. down to the very fundamental nature of the story of the DeLorean time machine was different. All of that was different. Yeah. And, and the fact that they managed to go through what I think is a whole long list of horrible ideas, they, but they sold the horrible ideas to the studio. Mm -hmm. They got the green light for a movie, and then they made this gem. Mm -hmm. That's the exact opposite of what we see today. We see the opposite, where a good idea gets sold, and then compromises are made, budgetary cuts, whatever, mm -hmm. and what you end up seeing is not so good. No, and vastly different from what the original concept was. The, the, while much of the mechanism has changed from inside the story, and you said gem, and it really that really does explain this movie perfectly, I think. If I had to give the word gem to a story, this would be the movie. Because Jem is kind of whimsical, makes you smile when you say it, and that's what I think of when I, when I think of this movie. Great story could not have been done better. Yeah, every now and then you and I will finish a movie review. Terminator, Terminator Salvation was a perfect sample. Where we're looking at it and we go, you know, what if they'd have done this with the story? Or if they'd have left this character do thus and such and then do something else? Well, you don't do that with this movie. And the reason is because you're satiated. And, and again, I'd say you were absolutely so right when... Today's modern movie does not have anywhere near the same perfect glam that this had. Well, and I think most modern movies tend to have the, this is what they felt was good enough. Yeah. As opposed to, and all, in this for, film, formula. it was almost the exact opposite. It's like they started with yeah. good enough, and then they're like, yeah. no, no, we don't want that. We want to do better. Yeah. And that's exactly the direction that they should go when they're making movies, and they don't do that anymore. Age progression making. Uh, I remember many years ago, I saw the film Citizen Kane which is widely voted every year by the people that supposedly know as the best movie ever. Not a two guys talking. Now, I thought it was horrible. I, I was boring. I didn't care for it at all. However, the one thing I really did like about the movie was the Orson Welles age-changing makeup throughout the film. Yeah. Especially how you know old that movie was. Yeah. It held up well. Yeah. 
this movie, Back to the Future, is probably the other movie I think of when I think of incredibly well done age progression makeup. Yeah, yeah I'll give you where that. Where it's not the, and now we superimpose the CGI green screen mesh over the actor's face and move it in real time. No, it's actually you get some putty and some makeup and you stick it on someone's face until it looks right. And, and it, it comes across seamless. To the point, really, the, the first time I saw this film, I really thought they were different actors yeah. playing the 1985 characters versus the, the 1955 characters. And that's it's a huge deal, especially back in 1985, yeah. with a reasonably small budget. For yeah. Them to yeah, we're going to talk specifically about the commentaries last inside of the goods here. But one of the things they mentioned inside of the very verbose and excellent commentaries in this disc is the actual age progression decision. They were actually looking at getting actors that looked like... Michael J. Fox older and like Leah Thompson older. They decided to go against that after the first couple of tests of the makeup because they could get the actors behind makeup and still have them emote and see exactly what they were feeling, what they were trying to showcase as actors. And that's why they went with this wonderful makeup that was done inside of Back to the Future. Just great stuff. Gotta give a hand to special effects. And the lack thereof. Yeah. Something that you'll also notice inside the commentaries is that everything here is an optical effect. Nothing in this movie was done CGI because there wasn't any CGI yet. <laughs> uh, again, this is one of those ones that holds up as a gem. The special effects also inside of this movie are a gem and that you watch them and you are totally engaged. There's nothing... There's nothing at all where you go, ew, what the hell is that? Nothing. Well, and what I think is the reason that it works is that you see so little special effects. Yeah. It would be so easy it's to, an do, enhancement. to do a cheesy right. yeah. 70s era time travel effect. But instead, how about the car just goes off frame and you see a flash of white light and then there's some fire on the ground. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. You don't think about it and you don't nitpick, oh, well, that effect is horrible or this movie was made 20 years ago. You don't think it because you don't have to see it. Right. And then that's how it should work. Yeah. And, and that's As opposed to having the, the 3D camera gyrating around the car before it takes off Correct. into oblivion. Uh, again, the, if you had to go back to movies and look at this one in regard to special effects or makeup or story or editing or pace, pace inside of a movie is something almost always forgotten. This movie moves. It, it, and it doesn't stop. Even in the slow parts, you're wondering what's going to happen next. And we just we do not see that in movies nowadays. I think the other huge thing that movies can take a lesson from nowadays is the concept that if you don't have the budget for something, work around it. Yeah. You can still have the concept of the time-traveling DeLorean without actually building an entire huge set with green yeah. screens mm -hmm. and eight stunt double cars that explode yeah. on command, etc. Yeah. Et something as simple as not showing the actual event happen works incredibly well on this film, and it's something that I would love to see. Uh, and I think everybody's seen the, the low-budget movies on the Sci-Fi Channel or whatever, mm -hmm. that small, uh, incredibly small budget in compared to any of the blockbusters. Yeah. But they want to try to compete. They figure, oh, we'll throw in some, some effects, mm -hmm. and you got to have the effects for the story to be any good, right? And they end up sucking, not because the story's necessarily bad, but because you're constantly distracted by the low-budget effects yeah. that they try to throw in your face. Yeah, being taken out of the story by special effects is exactly why all of those sci-fi, small bud smaller-budget, hurry-up-and-make-a-movies do not succeed. It's not that the stories are so incredibly bad, it's because you are literally drawn out of the story by the horrible effects that you see on screen. Substantial, realistic villains. When we were talking about this, as we were sitting at the local pizza place, and I brought this point up, Tony said, realistic villains? What? Why? I don't know. I don't, I, know. I don't actually talk like that. In case. 
And I said yes. In fact, uh, Biff's portrayal, uh, uh, the portrayal of the actor of Biff Tannen was actually based on his actual experiences of a bully in his life. And I totally appreciate that because I had a Biff when I was a kid. In fact, we were just talking about him earlier this week. And uh, yeah, there he is. Really? Yeah. I, I, I guess my issue so much with the villains are not that they weren't enjoyable because all the characters, even though they were very over the top, were yeah. entertaining. Yeah. But really, there's no character in this movie at all that I thought was particularly believable or realistic. However, it wasn't so far unrealistic that it was distracting. Now, I'm telling you, though. It, and Jennifer, more importantly... Jennifer in this film was amazingly accurate. What? <laughs> That's his girlfriend. I know who she is. Oh, okay. what is. Is that a sarcastic comment? It's very sarcastic. That's lame. Yeah. yeah edit that out with something better. <laughs> think, McFly, think! What would it look like if I finished my podcast with your handwriting? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the bottom line is that you must have substantial and realistic villains inside of a film or they will not work. And while this was, well, it was, see, though, it was peril. It was peril in that Marty's mom was going to get raped if good doesn't happen. And so there was a villain in this movie, Tony. Right. And I I didn't say. It wasn't just that time was. I wasn't saying that Biff wasn't a villain. My, My point was. He was very, very over the top. People don't act like that in real life. However, I will say to the movie's credit, and this is why it does still work for me, all the characters were equally over the top. So no one character stood out as being outlandish or silly for the sake of making a point or comic relief. They were all like that. And so you kind of stopped noticing after a while. And I didn't mind that so much. The pace. Now inside of our special effects sets here, we also mentioned the pace. And again, this movie is one that you watch... And Tony had a perfect sample when we were in the prelude to this review. You put it in the DVD player, and there are no places where you go, ah, fast forward this. There isn't anything like that inside of this film. Continuity. One of the things that anyone who has listened to any of our reviews previously knows <laughs> and is it's that not just feature film reviews. It's like anyway, every podcast or any conversation. My, we have. my review of like a newspaper article. Like your arm wasn't there 30 minutes ago. <laughs> Continuity is one of the things that is one of the few things that for me is pretty much make or break for any kind of entertainment. Yeah. And I that agree. is when I define continuity as something as simple as if things were there before, they should there be there now. Everything should be completely flow from one moment to another without there being gaps, without things being missing. And I don't even just necessarily mean set design, but just how characters act, Mm -hmm. little details, Mm -hmm. ambiance, all that. And the Back to the Future series in general, although the first one especially, did one of the best jobs ever with keeping the continuity completely relevant. Things like uh, the car parked in the background down the street when Marty leaves the Twin Pines Mall is in the exact same spot when he returns to Twin Pines Mall at the end of the movie. Simple things that they could easily say no one's going to notice, I'm not going to worry about. They did worry about, and they kept it consistent. To to speak to another piece of continuity there, when he does return to the Twin Pines Mall, it's now become the Lone Pine Mall because, of course, Marty ran over one of the cars with the DeLorean. (laughs) All of those little enhancements, or not even enhancements, but pieces of the story that that you really have to think about and then you eventually learn about, those add so much value to a film for me. I love it when I see things like that. Uh, little references that a character will make that then later on gets explained, but not yeah. in your face explained. Yeah. It, uh, you know, that's the thing that so many films nowadays yeah. try to do, and I, I keep going back to that comparison, but is the, well, in order to, sh- to prove to the audience that we're paying attention, we're going to bash in their face this whatever obvious thing that, yeah. look, see what we did? We remembered that. Yeah. But that doesn't count then. It's only clever and good 
if you don't notice it. If it's something that the third or fourth time you see the movie, you say, oh, hey, look at that. Yeah. And that's what continuity really is, is paying attention to all those little things to make it feel overall something engaging and something that you feel that you're part of as opposed to just watching. Yeah, and there's a piece of the last three things that we've talked about, the the pace, the special effects, and continuity, that is also included with exposition scenes. And Christopher Lloyd, the guy that plays Doc Brown in this movie, provides the best ever exposition scenes. The exposition scenes are essentially when a character is telling you what will or must happen for something to then happen inside of the film. And what always happens in just about every major motion picture now is that becomes a literal map scene. Now, inside of this movie, you have where they have the little mini town and Doc explaining what needs to happen with the car and pardon the crudeness of this model. I didn't have enough time to get it to the appropriate scale. Well, all of that stuff that he's doing there is so terribly entertaining. You don't even know that it's an exposition scene. That's the magic of Christopher Lloyd that nobody matches, in my opinion. Oh, I agree completely. It's extraordinary how he's able to provide you with the literal roadmap, and that's what you get inside there, of the movie, but you don't realize that you're being preached to about what you need to understand is going to happen. I love that. The soundtrack. We've peppered the soundtrack inside of this review, and we have links liberally to buy the soundtrack over at amazon.com which also nets the two guys talking podcast a little bit of cash to continue to provide you some great podcasts but this soundtrack is is one of the most distinct ever there, there are many things i think about inside of moviedom but dun 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 i always think of that when i think of this movie all of the music that's included in this in general is all so indicative and evocative when you hear any note of any of those songs that are included in here that are real songs. I instantly think of this movie, and that's how Centrax is supposed to do. Well, what's also amazing is that they have songs that were 80s songs, obviously, mm-hmm. since it was filmed in the 80s, but none of them actually date the movie. Right. If the movie wasn't about time travel and they didn't keep mentioning 1985, mm-hmm. you wouldn't know it's 1985. Yeah. Yeah, There's really nothing that, that strikes, oh, look, old ancient CRT monitor and <laughs> cordless phone that's eight times bigger than it needs to be. They don't have any of that, and yet it would have been so easy to do that. Yeah. And again, another hallmark of an excellent film, especially one about time travel where it is important to keep attention to those details yeah. so that you can see the difference between 85 and 55. Yeah. But they don't go way over the top either. Yeah, there's something they mention inside of the commentaries about the actual music that was selected for the 50s portion of the movie in particular. But they were careful to not include anything that was blues or rock and roll inspired. It was all that very 50s lollipop music. So that when Marty got there, he could be the one that discovers rock and roll and passes it on to Chuck Berry via Marvin Berry, his cousin. And it paid off perfectly. Again, a more perfect sample of a great movie Back to the Future. Classic brand and feel. (laughs) There are so many things that we can list inside of this movie. And let's just start. Marty's vest. Obviously the DeLorean. The all-in-one television studio inside of the first edition camcorders. The Walkman. Oh, good one. (laughs) The digital clock. President Reagan. (laughs) Ha! Reagan wasn't mentioned in there. He was like 80 times. The actor? <laughs> terrorists, extra Libyan terrorists. <laughs> Back when Libya used to driving a Volkswagen, a threat. yeah, driving a, va- a Volkswagen the less. Uh, there's so many things that are indicative of the classic brand and feel from this movie. Uh, what, what is even better is that again in the commentaries they mention that the entire crew looked at the town of Hill Valley that they created and said, you know, I remember a time when I saw something just like this. 
And that is the classic production design that happens in a movie like this that lasts forever. Commentaries on the DVDs. I don't have enough kudos to give to the commentaries on this, on these, on this set of DVDs. Whether it's the first film, the second, or the third one, all of them are extraordinary. The reason the first one's extraordinary is because you not only get Robert Zemeckis and Bob Kale telling you the blow-by-blow of what happened in the generation of the movie, but there's a guy in there that's actually providing questions from an audience. So it's essentially you're able to ask the questions that someone else asks and then hear the answers directly from the mouths of those two people. When you consider that Bob has an absolute link to here in St. Louis, no less, you hear a lot of really great stuff that would really make anybody an instant commentary fan. I haven't had a chance to w- listen to the entire commentary, but I will say that the new DVDs that they just released this past March, mm-hmm. uh, they've got all the stuff the original ones do, mm-hmm. plus they've actually got some extra featurettes with some behind-the-scenes yeah. things, and there's actually this TV special on the making of the Back to the Future the original one. Mm-hmm. The first movie has actually a two-disc set. Uh, so I'd recommend anyone who has the the old version of the DVDs. Mm-hmm. You know, the new ones are not that expensive. You can jump on Amazon right now and get them for, I think I paid like 19 bucks a piece, brand mm-hmm. new. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's totally worth the money. I'd definitely, you know, buy them again if you don't... Uh, yeah. Yeah, if, if there was a one in my collection, and who knows, I'm hoping that they'll eventually come out with a Blu-ray set of these. If there was a movie to buy, again, this is definitely one of those. Just as every movie has goods, every film has the bad. Corniness. Yeah, this had to be the one thing, in fact, it was the first thing I thought of when we were making our list of negatives for this film. I'm not a fan of corniness in movies pretty much ever. Now, it does work in the Back to the Future movies to a point, but it is a little bit overused. Uh, the over-the-top characters and the Great Scott, stuff like that I can live with. But when you start having things like Principal Strickland ra- calling random people slackers as they walk past him, <laughs> as, if, see, as if he doesn't have any other noun in his vocabulary, <laughs> that starts getting a little silly. Th- this came out in 1985, which was right in the middle of my high school years. I graduated in 88. That This came out in 1985... I had a Strickland. The difference is that it was a woman inside of my high school. And so all of this was right on the table. You're walking around in the halls, snookering with your girlfriend when you're supposed to be getting to class. They were all on you like this. Well, I'm not saying necessarily the what's happening is unrealistic so much as how it happens. Uh, along the no, lines... I disagree. And now this I disagree. Is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step outside of the first film specifically, and I'm going to go to the second film for a moment and remind everyone of the Marty getting, going nuts when everyone calls him a chicken. It's the same kind of thing. It's kind of funny the first time, but then like the third or fourth time, you're like, all right, that's about enough of that. (laughs) What what I give to something like that is everybody has those feelings, whether or not they either act on them or not. That's where the movie takes you. It actually shows you where Marty gets angry because he's called the chicken, and then you get to see what happens, but then you also get to see the repercussions of what happens. Oh, sure. Because he does that. I don't absolutely hate things like that. And again, the first film has plenty, you know, the manure thing, and there's a lot of little laughs that are funny. Those those things... A little bit too much in some cases. uh, We'll agree to disagree. I don't agree with that. I think that the style of the movie takes that on and uses it wonderfully. Contrived situations. Inside of the movie, there are many instances where one plus one should equal two. However, what they do instead is... 1 plus 1 plus 5 plus 8 minus 13 equals 2. Right. Uh, As much as I enjoy the film's plot, there are some points that they could probably get to in a much more straightforward manner. Uh, Some of the things you almost see coming because they're so engineered. So Doc Brown forgets to put the extra plutonium in the backseat of the car. He even says to Marty, 
Oh my god! I almost forgot the plutonium! How am I supposed to get back? <laughs> and then ten seconds later, the Libyans come. Marty jumps in the car. And, of course, not even a whole three minutes after Doc just informed him about the time travel go- when it hits 88 miles an hour, he literally says, let's see if these guys can do 90. And then he goes back in time. <laughs> None of that would happen that way in real life. And I don't hate it, but it's something that they could have just done better. Something like the Libyans shoot at them and... They can't. They get pinned down. And he can't get to the plutonium this, because the the bullets are whizzing by. Yeah. Something that would be a little more plausible than they simply forget about it would probably work better for me. This is the sample of what I think Tony building in nitpicking into something else that we call something else inside the the episode. The, the whole thing, and again inside of the commentary they even mentioned this. They wanted Marty to be an accidental time traveler. They did not want. My him. God, I've got to do this and such. So I must get in my time machine and hit well, the go button. I, I don't have a problem with things. the accident. But again, for example, something simple like uh, the clutch is stuck and he can't downshift and the accelerator's gone and, oh, I can't stop, I can't stop. So, I don't know, they could have done it a hundred different ways. Maybe there was ice on the right, road see, and the, it accelerated him faster than he thought. But or, then the car will never work and he'll, have, he'll be in an auto wreck when he gets to the future. <laughs> well, that actually brings and up it an didn't inter- have any airbags. That actually brings up an interesting point. So he accelerates to 88 miles an hour, he goes back to the future and then basically stops in 10 feet. Wouldn't he still be going 88 miles an hour? <laughs> Therefore causing him death when he runs into things. Insert the tone. <laughs> I don't know where to go against that. <laughs> well, I just opened up Pandora's box to the obvious Tony Lovasco nitpicking yeah, disease. Something. Does anyone have a Tony Lovasco infection shot that I can have? Insert the tone. You can't watch the sequels. Now, obviously, we'd love to talk more about the sequels inside of this review. This review is only for the first Back to the Future film. But while we were watching this, and it was about a week while we were prepping to watch all of this, I did not want to watch the second ones because they are so good and the continuity is so great that I think, and as is evidence... It's almost confusing. Yeah, as is evidenced by you bringing up a note previous in the podcast, you would get confused. There's no thought about it because they all blend together, which is good. I, I really like the second one. Uh, there are times that I almost feel like I like it more than the first one. I can never really decide. The third one, I think they should have stopped after the second one. The third one was not horrible, but it just it missed the mark that the first two had. However, one of the, the downsides, I would say, of the franchise in general is that the second and third movies really don't stand alone the way the first one did. Uh, if you look online, you'll discover that they really had no intention of making any sequels. Right. The line at the end of the movie about uh, Marty's children being messed up was a joke that was just supposed to be a fun way to end the movie. Mm-hmm. The, the, the whole to-be-continued line was actually inserted after it aired on TV or been released on video or whatever. So th- that being said... The, the second and third one, it, it's tough to really watch them if you've never seen the first one at all. Whereas the first one, I think 100% really does stand alone as its own movie. And in that right, it is probably the best one. Crispin Glover. Off screen rather than on screen. Now, we all know Crispin Glover was the quintessential George McFly inside the first film. Sadly, he did not continue on with the series. And there was reason. Because he was apparently really, really pissed off during his involvement in making this modern gem classic which when you listen again to the commentary on these discs is amazing the the level of make a point to be different and must must argue with people was amazing to me and that they were so eager to recast uh, eric stoltz as marty mcfly yet they couldn't bring themselves to find someone else that could do george mcfly i thought was very telling of his skill set yeah i almost wonder if they just had too much shot that yeah. they just they had too much well, invested. And I also think that because they, as much as they'll bash him inside the commentary, they also admit that he is George. McFly. Oh, he does a great job. Clearly, he, he does an uh, outstanding job, and that he's so quirky 
is is one of those things that he and other directors and producers have to play on inside of modern day Hollywood. Because I guarantee he's not the only and first Goonie actor inside of Hollywood. Well, and I, from what I understand, reading online, apparently he sued the studio over using his likeness in the second film because they oh. used some of the shots from the yeah. first film. Yeah. And, oh, he didn't get paid for that a second time and blah, blah, blah. Apparently it was a, a pretty big deal. And not to mention the fact that the whole reason he wasn't in the second film was because he wanted too much money. Yeah. Well, which, and he was for goony. a side character. If, if not, that's, if that's not, bold. If not only he was he wanted more money, but he was also goony and you had to put up with him. Uh, that, that, that's an easy decision for me to make, especially for a studio. Even if it's going to net them a bunch of money in the end, is it really worth that headache? Is it worth having him go and petition the crew to change the story and how the actual end of the, ending of a story happens? I don't think that's worth it. It's definitely not worth it when you have a schedule to keep. <laughs> what do you think about Crispin Glover? Obviously, he provided the quintessential George McFly visage, but was he worth it? Let us know what you think by accessing our website at twoguystalking.com. Click on the contact button in the top right-hand side, fill out the quick web form, and let us know what you think about Crispin Glover, the actor off-screen, not on-screen, inside of Back to the Future. Censoring the product. Another one of those things I... This is extraordinary. One of those things I, I, again, the truth to this, you don't know all the details, but one of the things that came up on the Wikipedia page, among other places, was that uh, after 9-11, when this movie aired on network television, they actually re-edited the scenes with the Libyans shooting at Doc Brown, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know how, because it's pretty central to the storyline, yeah. but they, they managed to somehow re-edit that in an attempt to be more sensitive to Libyan terrorists. I have no idea, <laughs> but apparently they thought that, that would offend people somehow, which, uh, granted, the terrorists had almost no dialogue. They were mindless guys with guns who Go! shot at the good guys. Go! I'm not really sure how offensive that is, but yellow, yellow. If, 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 any, if anything, it. the fact that they feel the need to shoot blindly and miss all of them and not use the rocket-propelled grenade until long after Marty <laughs> is like 100 yards away from them, that's what they should have changed. Can't but, they like add in stupid Libyan <laughs> yeah. terrorists? Because then the, then the smart Libyan terrorists would also be against them. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Anyway, that, that was incredibly goony, and again, censoring things like that totally changed the, the the point that they were from Libya. Okay, there's also bad people from America. Well, and <laughs> if everyone remembers back in the early 80s, Libya was kind of the, bad guy. the bad guy. They right. were they were kind of relevant at the time. And the actor? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the off the left field there. Sure. Uh, Anyway, point being in general is this really isn't a mark on the filmmakers or the movie itself because, of course, they don't really have any say in how it's right, edited for right. TV. But it just does kind of raise the question, how many people saw it for the first time like that and really what was their thoughts about it? Because that had been kind of confusing. Well, yeah, and then made the call to say, you must change this or we'll never watch Back to the Future again because that's the only way that they would go ahead and change it. I've never understood anything like that. All the stuff that happened at 9-11, like uh, Crash Into Me, that, I, I, was, I was blown away. Oops. When they the the Dave Matthews Band song "Crash Into Me," they banned that from the radio after nine eleven. Oh right, right, yeah, yeah. All of that kind of thinking, and uh, that's all beyond me. Wasn't there a moratorium on uh, American Pie, this or the American Pie, uh, the song, Don McLean's? Really? Yeah. Really? Was that the name of the song that American Pie? American Pie. Yeah. yeah. Really? Why? Yeah. Apparently, because it talks about driving your car off the cliff and killing yourself, and so therefore. That's negative, and therefore, I don't know. It was yeah, a, see, Clear Channel went on this amazing. We're going to ban everything for like three months, six months, out of sensitivity reasons after nine eleven. And I, I didn't follow it too much, but uh. I think that's extraordinarily bad form, and it's something that we should never repeat. 
there has to be a, a form of sensitivity. I understand that, but to to change the fundamental nature of what we're experiencing, I don't I don't buy that. Can't find enough negatives. This was extraordinary because, again, we, we review lots of movies and television shows during the year. And when you have to literally sit down at a restaurant away from everything else and sit and banter about, okay, what, what can we pull out of the fire that is a negative for this film? Uh, that's a, extraordinary, and I hope to find many more films that we can review that are like that. But I don't think we're going to find another one that's as strong as Back to the Future. Unfortunately, we do have a responsibility to keep this podcast remotely entertaining. And you know what? Let's face it. Complaining is usually at least a little bit entertaining. Oh, that's right. So I'm thinking, let's just throw out a little lightning round of stupid little things that didn't make a whole lot of sense in the movie that aren't really worth debating, but we'll throw them out there anyway. Fine. Uh, I'll start. So No way. Every time the car goes back into the future or back into the past, there's tire marks on the ground. They're on fire, and yet the tires are pristine. In addition to the car traveling at 88 miles an hour to travel through time, there's no way a car could possibly get up to 88 miles an hour in 80 feet. At some point, Doc Brown had to build the nuclear reactor inside of the car, in which case he should have radiation poisoning and be dead. The mechanical wheels on the pseudo-skateboard would never work that way. Doc Brown doesn't light on fire and die when struck by lightning. The guy in the soda jerk couldn't give him a free coffee. How about some frickin' water? Doc Brown designs a time machine, but doesn't change the spark plugs. Doc Brown attaches the incredibly accurate wind-up alarm clock to the dashboard of the exotic time machine because that will tell Marty exactly when to go so that he'll go back to the future. Hanging on to the back of police cars with your skateboard was still not allowed in 1955. Good thing that Doc Brown cleans the clock tower on weekends so he has a key to get inside, run up the stairs, and attach all the wires he needs to. There is no traffic by the courthouse in 1955. Ever. Doc Brown, the man that does no amazing scientific experiments for anybody, has extra cash for Marty McFly that just shows up out of nowhere. It's not sufficient to demonstrate the plan to Marty. Doc Brown has to actually light a small model car on fire! Hey, baby! What do I have to do? The legacy of Back to the Future. Back to the Future had a lot of legs when it was new, when it was a budding new property that had three feature films behind it and potentially a regularly occurring television series. But it doesn't now. And it's one of those things that I think can stay as a staple in the past yes. and not have a future. Keep it buried. It, 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 it's, it's too solid. It's too solid. To try and attach a future to this film series and this franchise, especially not being able to use all of the original actors, I, I think would just be such a travesty. I wouldn't want to see it. There was talk a few years ago of making a fourth film without Michael J. Fox. And that the very fact that someone even entertained that in a serious business discussion around a table is insane to me. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And while there would be that initial that initial rush, there would be people that would go and see it. That's clear, and that's why they would consider that. It's one of those things that you just don't want to do. It doesn't need to happen. The sequels. Oh, these were a series of sequels. Again, the second one was just sheer genius. The third one worked worked over even more a model that was successful and made tons and tons of money. The sequels are definitely something that we recommend to everybody. If you see the first one, you must at least see the second one, if not the third one. And they're things that you can see anytime. They don't have to be something that you turn on and fast forward through at all. They're all very, very entertaining. What's really amazing, too, is that you know the second and the third one were shot pretty much back to back. But there was a decent gap between the first one and the second one. Yeah. And and yet that continuity that I mentioned before is it's still very solid in mm-hmm. the second and the third one. 
they do an excellent job paying attention to those little details. Even replicating the the actual, like the frames that you see. Right. Yeah, the same the, shots, the, the same angles. The one angles I always and... think of is when Marty is sitting inside of the soda jerk and he uh, trips Biff and Biff stands up and you're looking face front at Michael J. Fox and then you see Biff standing up. Well, in the second one, it's because he's cybernetically enhanced. So you hear the as he raises up and in the third one it's exactly the same except now it's western biff you have that same thing and there's got to be at least tens of different samples oh like absolutely that. and i love that i love when they can continue the continuity over that regardless of literally what time it is but also what characters are in well and what's That's even awesome. more amazing is when you start talking about things like ripping down the sets and then rebuilding them again because it's now a different time period yeah and then oh got to go back to the first time period rip it down again yeah I, the fact that they were able to do all of that with such precision is amazing yeah just excellent Excellent stuff. And again, we recommend the sequels incredibly here at Two Guys Talking. The future of Back to the Future. We talked a little bit about this inside of the legacy of Back to the Future, but when we see the success of the downloads of this podcast, as everybody saw with the release of the first three films, we'll be doing reviews of more of the sequels here at Two Guys Talking. One of the things I would like to see as a, as a future for the franchise is another DVD transfer. The, yeah, the special editions or whatever yeah. you want to call them that just came out in March. The, the extra features are definitely worth the buy. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like it's pretty much the same film transfer as the yeah, first ones yeah. back several oh, years ago. You know, there's something so I, w- I would love to see a high-def remastering on a Blu-ray or even just regular DVD again, where it's a fresh from the film, you know, treatment, yeah. and they touch things up. And I would, I think that the film could really, you know, use that because it is getting a little bit older. Yeah. And so we come to the end of another great DVD feature film review, Back to the Future, 1985, directed by Robert Zemeckis, starring a litany of great stars from 1985. But we're still wondering what you think about Back to the Future. Be sure to access our website at twoguystalking.com, click the contact button on the top right-hand side of the page, fill out the quick web form, and let us know what you think about Marty McFly, Doc Brown, and the cast inside of Back to the Future. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. I'm Tony Lovasco, your other host. Thanks for joining us for the Back to the Future review, and see you next time. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Two Guys Talking Show. We hope you'll tell your friends and co-workers about us, and don't forget to put us on your podcast list. As always, you can visit and contact us online at twoguystalking.com. That's the number, twoguystalking.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Manure! I hate manure. It's the wrong movie. No, isn't it? That was the second <laughs> one, isn't it? <laughs> Scratch that. Bolivians! Bolivians! <laughs> <laughs>
Why don't you make like a tree and get out of here?